welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and today with me is my powerlifting coach, Brandon Sen. Very excited about this interview because I am not a powerlifter, but I decided to try and become one. So this year, we are going to be accomplishing a couple meets um, this upcoming year, and what we are going to be doing is basically taking somebody who has never specifically trained for powerlifting and put him into a couple competitions in powerlift. And the first one is probably going to be sometime in the spring. So I brought him on because he is a world-class coach. He has powerlifted himself. He has been in the industry as an educator, a business owner, as an athlete, um, as somebody in the strength and conditioning world for a long time. He has put literally some of the strongest people in the world on platforms to win those titles. Like literally his clients have been the strongest in the world, which we are going to talk about today. And he has worked for some of the most reputable companies, Kabuki Strength, juggernaut training systems as well. So today we're going to kind of cover a little bit of everything. We're going to talk about powerlifting and his journey. We're going to talk about how to get really fucking strong, both as a powerlifter and as somebody who is gen pop. So if you are not competitive, you'll still be able to take a lot out of this episode. Um, And we're going to dive into some of the mistakes people make, uh, specifically the most common mistakes made in strength athletes and everyday people trying to get stronger. We talk on mobility, flexibility, stretching, all kinds of stuff. You guys are really going to enjoy this, especially if you are interested in improving your performance and strength in gym as much as possible. This podcast is brought to you by, of course, Tailored Life Apparel. So if you have not grabbed anything yet, we have a limited stock left, but you can head over to tailoredlifeapparel.co and check out what we have and get some gear for the gym and for the streets. And last but not least, by Giant Lifting, which is the perfect sponsor of this podcast because if if you were listening to this, then you like to lift heavy shit and they have the best heavy shit to lift, <laughs> quite frankly. So head over to giantlifting.com and use the coupon code TCM10 to save 10% on your order. All right, guys, without any further ado, let's talk to my coach, Brandon Seth. All right, Brandon, I'm excited for this uh, for a few reasons. Uh, number one, because you've really impressed me with just your knowledge, honestly, and even just, um, it's funny because when, when I don't, any coach I've ever hired in the past, so for people listening, this is my coach at the moment, taking me through a new endeavor for me, which I'm excited about, powerlifting. Um, I always I always hire people who I've known for a long time from afar. Like, I follow their content, really dig into stuff. Um, I watched the, like, Who is Brandon video on Juggernaut, and Insane was like, yeah, like, this guy knows his shit. This guy's dope. I want to work with him. This will be really cool. Um I reached out, we jumped a call and we got right to it. So I was instantly really impressed with just your knowledge. And then watching you critique even my lifting videos, it's very, very cool for me because I mean, man, I've been lifting for 12, 13 years now and to feel really good about my skills as a lifter and then to, to have you politely rip my lift apart, you know, and take the bench press and go tweak this, do this, whether it's, it's incorrect or it's just like, Hey, we're lifting for a different purpose now. It's just such a cool experience to, to go that deep into it because it is a new endeavor for me. So um, I'm excited to bring you on and kind of go over some of that stuff and introduce the listeners to you because we've brought this journey up on the podcast multiple times. Um, so to, to get started, who is Brandon Sen? Give us the kind of like who you are, what you do now, and kind of like, you know, your background a little bit, like what, where, how this all started and how it evolved. Yeah, well, well thank you for the, for the kind words there. Um, yeah. So, and I think everything you said is, uh, it really hits home for me too, because I think all coaches at some point in their life should be coached. You know, I think there's, I think there's a lot to be gained, but who am I? Who am I? That's a question that I asked myself probably 
very often. Um, so uh, my name's Brandon Sen. Uh, I've been a coach uh, specifically like on the powerlifting side for um, 10 years, maybe a little bit more than 10 years. Um, you know, I started out as a, as many coaches do as a personal trainer in kind of a big box gym. I did that for maybe a year. I, I wasn't very good at it. I was very bad at selling people and I really only wanted to coach powerlifters. So regardless of like the person that I trained, they all ended up powerlifting because I was a new trainer and that's what I wanted to do. So that's what everybody did. Fat loss. No, put your belt on and let's go squat. So that, that, that's, that's, that, that was where I really first started was at 24 hour fitness. And I still have a lot of good friends uh, uh, that I made during that time, but uh, very quickly, I, I got into trying to work more with strength athletes, being a strength athlete myself. Um, and uh, part of part of my story is being in the right place at the right time with kind of the start of Kabuki strength. You know, I was there. Um, I'm no longer there, uh, but I was there from before we opened the doors to the point, you know, actually just uh, maybe six months ago when I when I left there. So you know, my, my role at Kabuki was uh, head coach. Uh, I, I moved my way up into an executive position and uh, kind of reached my uh, glass ceiling there, uh, so to speak. And I, I, uh, I wanted to focus a little bit less on business and get back to actually coaching athletes, which is what I, you know, have, have done my entire life. Uh, and it's something that I wanted to refocus myself on. So um, I, I, you know, with Kabuki, I, I, I've, you know, hired and, and, and fired people, not now, luckily, I haven't had to fire too many people, but our, our coaching staff there, we had built, you know, over over that 10 year span and we have coaches everywhere. So I had a lot of leadership experience there. I was fortunate to work with some really strong and talented people coming through. Um, I'm not the hugest social media kind of guy, but I was afforded an opportunity with kind of the brand that we had built to, to work with some talented individuals and probably have some introductions that I wanted to add uh, on my own. And, you know, Having worked with a lot of those people, I got a lot of referrals and, and things of that nature. So, yeah, I, I've done kind of everything there is to do within the online uh, strength coach uh, position. Um, I don't know that there's too many people who have jumped between companies as well uh, within this industry. I, I'm not familiar with too many people. So I think that's been kind of cool, too, to now work with Juggernaut and Chad. And I've known Chad for a long time, um, probably met him back in Gosh, I don't even know, maybe the first U.S. Open or something like that. Um, but I've been obviously a huge fan of Juggernaut and, you know, we've got some exciting stuff there and I'm working with them. I'm, I'm doing my own thing as well. And, uh, you know, I'm life is good, I would say. So that's more or less, I would say, who Brandon Sen is. It, I also like steak. <laughs> um, it's cool to hear that, too, because, you know, not only do not that many people bounce or, or, you know, transition from one company to another, but let alone two, I mean, pun, pun kind of intended juggernauts of the industry, you know, like if you, if you were into lifting, if you were into powerlifting and strength sport, you probably know who Kabuki and who juggernaut is. I mean, I, I've yeah. have Kabuki equipment in the gym and I have a multiple, uh, juggernaut books on my bookshelf, you know? So, um, two really big companies, uh, that just kind of shows the reputability. Uh, now, Powerlifting is your your specific thing. Have you? I'm assuming yes, but um, did you compete in powerlifting before you became a trainer, yeah. or is that like what what was that? It was kind of concurrent. You know, I've kind of found myself with anything that I've done in life, I really have kind of been interested in it myself, and I want to learn about it, and I want to do it, and then I go on to teach people how to do it 
Um, so yeah, I, I, I competed in powerlifting for for many many years. Uh, I haven't ruled out competing again, uh, but you know, I, I kind of got to a point where, you know, for me, powerlifting, it's been kind of a weird journey because I feel like for myself, it's kind of lost a little bit of its novelty. You know, when you first get interested in learning about something, the thing that kind of drives you is all the things that you don't know. And I certainly, you know, I would never say that I know everything about it. There's still, you know, tons, tons to be uncovered and, and to be refined about myself as a coach, as an educator. But I, I just kind of figured out what needed to happen to do the next thing. You know, I, I kind of hit the initial goals that I set for myself. You know, I wanted to squat 600 pounds in sleeves. I did that. I, I wanted to deadlift 700 pounds. I did that. I bench press, like strangely, I, you know, I, I'm of, of that kind of, um, you know, sect of powerlifters who didn't really ever care about bench press. And I wanted to squat and deadlift, but, you know, I benched 385 and that was good enough for me, but you know, I, I kind of knew what it would take to squat 620 and 650 and 670. And uh, it, I think it still would be cool to do that. But I also have only ever done this, like from my interest standpoint, from a business standpoint, I, it's all I did for my entire day, every single day. And if I wasn't, you know, learning or doing powerlifting, then I was, you know, recovering from doing powerlifting. So it, it was all consuming. And uh, I, I kind of got to a point where I was feeling pretty burnt out with it from, from the competing side and the training side, I still loved coaching people. There's, there's so much more about, you know, coaching people than there is about at least for me doing it myself. And I, I just found myself wanting to do other things. You know, now I, I do woodworking and I fish and I, I, I spend a, a lot of time doing other hobbies that you just don't do. Like powerlifters do not have hobbies. If, if you ask, it, it was, I always kind of knew that, but I found it when we did our, like, we did uh, like bio videos for the coaches at Kabuki Strength. And one of them was like, what do you do besides powerlifting? They're all like, uh, I do powerlifting. That's all I do. You know, and I found myself in that same standpoint that I, I just, uh, you know, I, I had a, a very long ongoing joke with a buddy of mine who he's actually one of my best friends, but I was like, you know, imagine if you spent four hours because we would train for like four hours now half of that time was like sitting on a couch and like taking 30 minute breaks in between uh, uh, uh exercises but it's like you know if you spent that amount of time how many languages could you learn and how many other things could you possibly do and I I kind of came to a real like point in my life where I felt like my identity was wrapped up in powerlifting and I didn't really like that so I I stopped doing it literally cold turkey I was just like nah I'm done now might go back, but I, I also find it kind of hard to to get back and train like a powerlifter because you have you just compare yourself to everything you've done before, and I, it's very annoying for me having you know squatted six hundred pounds in sleeves to now feeling like four hundred is challenging. You know, it's not like a fun feeling, even though like squatting is cool and stuff. It's like you know, so yes, I did compete. <laughs> Long story short, uh, you know, and I still train and stuff, but. Yeah, I, I may compete in the future. I may not. My wife has competed in the past. She was probably a better powerlifter than I was. But, um, you know, maybe if she does, then I might as well. Who knows? I can completely relate to the hobby thing, man. Not only from a training perspective, but just an entrepreneur perspective. And yeah. I was asked a similar question. It was kind of a slap in the face. I was like, damn. <laughs> I don't have any hobbies. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, um, which is not bad. I mean, you're obviously super successful, but in, in in what you do. But for me, I was like, there's just too many other things that I wanted to do, and I was tired of 
feeling tired and sore all day, yeah. every day. Yeah. Because as a pilot, you really do not feel good. Yeah. Like you don't realize how bad you feel all of the time until you just stop doing it. Then you're like, wow, I have so much energy. Well, and it's, and it's kind of funny. It's ironic because if you think of like even bodybuilding, same thing, like when you get ready for the last few weeks of a photo shoot or uh, getting on stage, you feel like shit. Actually, to be honest with you, most of the prep, you feel like shit. Once you get beyond that point of being like, yeah, you're really lean. Like now you're just getting shredded. You just feel like shit. But it's like, yeah. the, I don't know, the epitome of physique and health and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Powerlifting, mm-hmm. it's funny because there's been a few times where it's almost like manipulating my position to lift heavier and intentionally knowing like this isn't going to feel good or optimal Mm -hmm. or from like a health perspective or like it's not going to feel comfortable like you shouldn't feel this way but do it because you're going to lift heavier and it's yeah that's the goal right now so it's it's ironic at times that that you know that it does that um you said which a lot of people like that feeling too you know like and as a uh, as a bodybuilder yourself i'm sure you know there are certain times where you're like in those last couple of percentage points but you actually oh, yeah. secretly love it yeah you know you you love that period and you kind of know what to expect and it's the same thing with powerlifting. you know so as much as i say woe is me i mean it's actually super cool yeah yeah absolutely you can only do it for so long though i think is the yeah. is the big thing um, yeah, you know some people do it their entire lives and i, I do have some uh, envy of them but you know, <clears throat> you know, there's different uh, classes in powerlifting. I never found myself wanting to compete in like an age bracket. You know, I was just going to compete in the open class and that was it. I was never going to be like a master's one, two, and then like go after all these other things. And yeah, so I, I just, powerlifting is super cool. You know, I don't compete anymore, but who knows? Maybe you, I will. You didn't bring this up which is humble, but I want to make sure we do, but you've had some pretty amazing athletes as well that you've coached. Right. So like, yeah. um, I'm sure you've coached hundreds of people at this point, but like, just if you can name a few of just, cause I believe if I'm not mistaken, some like mm-hmm. world class, like top in the world yeah. athletes, right? Yeah. 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 I've, I've, uh, I've had been very fortunate to have a lot of, uh, opportunities to work with some really talented people. You know, I was, I wrote, I've written all of Chris's training for like the past five years, from all of his, you know, grand goals attempts to his last powerlifting meets. Um, and that's Chris Duffin for those listening. Yeah. Who he's yeah, actually yeah, been yeah. on the podcast as well. Um, oh, nice. Very cool. About a year or so ago. Yeah. I've coached, you know, I've written all of his programs. I've written a lot of people's programs like Chris, many all time world record holders. Um, one of my, I think I, I mentioned this in my intro video too, because they, you know, anytime like that, uh, you mentioned the juggernaut intro video, they ask like who, you know, what's your fondest ex- coaching experience? I can't remember the exact question, but like a few come to mind, like coaching Amit Sapir was super cool. For those of you who don't know, he was, he's the only person in history who's ever held um, the all-time world record squad in like four different weight classes. So we dominated at 181, 198, 220, and 242 wow. as being the best squatter. And granted, you know, his deadlift and bench were not great. He only ever cared about squatting. Uh, so that, it was really cool. Another one that was super cool uh, to work with was Ava Dunbar, who kind of similar to you, she was a, she was a pro bodybuilder, uh, still has a pro card. She wanted to do powerlifting and she became the the best powerlifter of all time, literally by, by coefficient. So take coefficient as what you will. It's like a math formula where they compare, you know, between genders and weight classes. And they say, based on this formula, you are the best. And she was the best for a period of time, you know, better than, better than Ed Cohn, all, all these, you know, people. And that, that was pretty cool to be able to accomplish that with her being the, you know, the literally the best powerlifter who's ever existed. Now that 
has since fallen. There's many other people that have, you know, uh, surpassed that. People like Steffi Cohen and people like that have kind of taken uh, that spot. I don't, I don't know who holds it anymore, but that, that was super cool. And I, I've, you know, worked with people like that for a long time. And I've also worked with just beginners, you know, and I, I love coaching just for coaching. You know, I, it's certainly cool to hit like, you know, these all-time world record lifts and be like the best of the best, but it's also just cool to coach people and watch them on their own journey, meander their way through. So I, I take a lot of pride in just being a coach, you know, and, and uh, some of the, some of the strongest people I worked with are fun because they take a lot of creative juice to get the training right. And uh, it's, there's always things to figure out with them, you know, but there's also things to figure out with like the 15 year old kids that I train, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, um, that that's what kind of keeps me going. I say, and I, I tend to not like, you know, really talk too much about the people I've worked with just because I'm like, I work with new people now and those people are super cool too. And I love working with them just as much as I did, you know, some of the strongest competitors that I've ever worked with. So yeah, that, that's, I, and I, I, you know, there's quite a few other people like the Chris's and Ava's and excuse me, in a meets that I've worked with, but um, you know, I think everyone has, literally you know everyone is literally doing the same thing that i work with some people do it a little heavier some people do it a little lighter some people like to bench press more than they squat and deadlift but at the end of the day like you know cody's journey is not that dissimilar from duffin's journey you know or my own journey i can see that in the people that i work with and that's ultimately what i enjoy doing the most i like being part of the journey with them i like supporting them and ultimately you know my role as a coach i feel more of a like a kind of like a servant you know i you know not in not as much as like a slave you know to the athletes that i train but i like you know i like servitude i like working with people like helping people and that's you know so for all the like best of the best that i've worked with I, i i just like coaching people you know that's that, that's who I am at my core, I think. I think it'd be pretty wild. I don't know why this comes to mind, but just to think of being that woman and you're at a family barbecue and it's like, oh, so what do you do? I'm just yeah. the strongest girl in the world yeah. ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Well, if you have family members and if you're a powerlifter or probably a bodybuilder, people are just like, oh, so you do like uh, the things like where they put the bar over their head in the Olympics. We're like, no, I, I don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do, you know, the, the other three. Um yeah, it's it it, uh, it yeah, it, it's super cool. Like some of the people that I've trained and worked with, it's you know, it's it's nice to walk that journey with them because usually like a lot of those people usually don't have coaches. You know, a lot of the best of the best kind of became that way because they knew how to do it themselves. And all of the people I truly believe that you and everybody that I've ever worked with could be just as successful without me. You know, you guys know what to do, but there's something else to be gained from um from, from being coached, but a lot of those strongest people, like, you know, they usually don't hire someone who's not as strong as them. You know, that's also not that common. Um, so I was, you know, through my own coaching career, I've, you know, certainly seemed like I've built a little bit of a reputation for myself, even though I don't, you know, I, I don't think I've, the last post on social media I made was like, Oh, I'm doing this thing with juggernaut. My last post prior to that was a year ago. So I'm, I'm not exactly out there. Uh, as much as I, I probably should be. Well, and you know what? Like, I, I don't think, I mean, we're not going to go down this business route, but I actually don't think 
I don't think you need to, you know, results speak for themselves. And a lot of times I think people nowadays, I, I talk to business owners about this all the time. I think a lot of people forget how powerful, um, marketing outside of social media actually can be, especially because oh, yeah. everybody thinks they need a big Instagram following to, mm-hmm. to grow. Um, but, uh, you mentioned a couple things that I want to, um, I want to kind of steer into because, you know, speaking of like some of these amazing athletes you work with and then some of the beginners too. Um, I think that a lot of coaches I've heard say this as well, where, you know, working with the best of the best is amazing. But a lot of times if you can take somebody from poor or just mediocre or just new Mm -hmm. to pretty damn good or great, maybe not world-class, but that's actually like more impressive than, you know, I see some like celebrity athlete trainers and I'm like, he's already a freak. He's already super strong. He's already a professional athlete. And now mm-hmm. you're just doing fancy stuff on Instagram. Like there's nothing mm-hmm. special about that. Um, so like, I actually really appreciate that the way you took that. And and I want to kind of talk to some of those newer lifters in this podcast, because I think that's where a lot of them can, can gather some of this. Um, and before we go into the question, which is really just like the biggest mistakes you see. So like, even for, mm-hmm. you know, me coming on board, like what are the big things that you see are either mistakes that usually lead to injuries or just like, lack of strength like what are you trying to fix but before you do just define um the powerlifting um kind of classes because you mentioned like squatting with sleeves and there's some people who don't even i don't know all the differences because i know there's like you know there's equipped and like you got like the full Mm -hmm. suit um are we talking that are we talking just wearing knee sleeves and that's not allowed i mean there's a lot of stuff people don't even think about because i was squatting in front of a mirror and you're like yeah stop doing that because you're not gonna have a mirror (laughs) in front of you and i was like god that is so Right. Like I just never yeah. thought about that, you know, so there's just these little things, but um, what, it, what are those? And then let's kind of dive into those mistakes. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think there's like a certain category of mistakes that uh, different qualifications of lifters make, like the strongest people that I've worked with all kind of make similar mistakes and the beginners that I've worked with all kind of make the similar mistakes, but in terms of powerlifting, there's many ways to compete in powerlifting. And that's, it's very more inclusive than people really realize. I mean, at any meet you go to, you're going to have kids and their dads and moms, and then you're going to have 70 year old women. And then you're going to have, you know, a lot of uh, meatheads in the middle. Yeah. So it's, there's tons of ways to be involved with it. You can compete with as little equipment as you want, zero equipment, or you can compete with a whole lot of equipment and compete against those people. Powerlifting has changed a lot over the years. It used to be people competed in these really restrictive canvas and denim suits and uh, these things that really restrict your joints so that you can compress them. And then it helps you lift like 300 pounds more uh, than you would. Some of these squat suits you can wear will literally double your squat. Uh, by wearing them, but it's a different type of powerlifting. And these days, not many people enjoy doing that. I never enjoyed doing that. I've never done it. And I've never really coached anyone to do it. Um, uh, other than that, you have squatting with wraps, squatting with sleeves or no sleeves, and you can't compete sleeves or no sleeves. You just it's sleeves. So you have raw and classic raw, and those would be kind of your two categories. And of course, everyone has to squat, press and deadlift. Uh, if you want, though, you can enter as a deadlift only competition in a powerlifting meet. You can do bench press only. You can do bench press and deadlift only. Uh, there's no squat only, which is always never know why. I think, you know, people either like to bench press and deadlift. Not a lot of people like to have weight on their back, crushing them into the earth. Um, but yeah, so those are all the ways you can compete in powerlifting. It, it's a very inclusive type sport. Um, and then in terms of like mistakes people make, I think with I used to get frustrated by a lot of like the things that people would do. 
but I just realized they do it because they're like super excited about training. Like a lot of the beginner lifters that I coach, they're the, it's, it's really funny. It's like, they're the only people who every single week want to change the program that I send them. You know, the, the strongest people that I've worked with, you know, the all-time world record holders are like, cool program done. Got it. going to do it. Every beginner that I work with is like, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's, can I change this? And, you know, they're, they're just very excited about all the new things. So it's something that I used to be like, why do you want to change the program that I wrote? I wrote it because of a certain reason Then I start to realize like, oh man, these guys are just stoked to be training and they want to do all the exercises that never done before. You know, if, if I give them skull crushers, they want to do dips. If I give them dips, they want to do tricep extensions. It's like, it's just new stuff and they, they like to do it. So I would say like, some of the bigger mistakes that beginners make though, I think is bouncing around everywhere, not sticking just with like a couple things. Um, but at the end of the day too, it's like that, I think that's part of what gets them excited to train. So as much as it is like maybe a mistake, it's also like kind of not because it gets them to be more invested in the program. And I think if you can make someone more invested in the program, they will definitely get better results. Uh, I, I truly believe that. Um, beginners too, like just fundamentally, they will get stronger faster than they'll get better at lifting. And, and what I mean by that is it's like really easy to make a beginner strong. Like I can add 50 pounds to their squat, not that challenging. Uh, but, uh, I, I, it's much harder to get them to actually squat correctly. Right. And, and, and get them to execute their technique well. Um, because typically their strength ceiling is much higher than their technical ceiling. And they'll typically um, hit their technique limitations before they ever hit their, what their, you know, where their actual strength is. So for a lot of beginners, it's just like not learning good technique early uh, and technique changes. It changes over time and you, you can't, there's also a lot of, a lot of mistakes people make with technique too. Like if you want to squat better, it's not as easy as just squatting better. Like it takes a long time to actually get really good at it and to make it like an unconscious skill, uh, something that you don't have to think about. You can just execute it. Uh, a lot of people, you know, they, they chase a lot of their strength numbers because it's the thing that motivates them. Um, and uh, I would say that's the biggest one. Like every beginner powerlifter, myself included, when you first start training, it's super easy to make progress. You'll make progress very quickly. Uh, sometimes it's about holding those people back, but they also think that they'll just continue to do that forever. I remember myself as a young lifter adding like 50 pounds to my squat in six months. And I'm like, oh, I'll just do the math on that. Every six months, 50 pounds. Okay, two years, I'm going to squat. 700 pounds or something, you know, it, and it, obviously it doesn't work that way. Everybody thinks that though, when they first start, they're like, why are all these other people not the strongest? Why, why are people not squatting 2000 pounds? You know? Um, so I think for a lot of beginners, it's just not, not really understanding technique. And it, it's something that will come back to bite them because they end up with like knee problems and back problems and, and things like that. Those are, those are definitely the, the bigger beginner mistakes. I would say for your advanced people. Um, I think sometimes they're, you know, some, some of the lifters that I've worked with have, have been, you know, on the non-tested side, obviously a lot of them have been on the drug tested side, but a lot of them get hurt because they are so strong. And it, it's, it's the only time that I've ever like really lost clients uh, have been because of disagreements I've had with them, like wanting to continue to compete. Uh, there's a few really strong people that I won't necessarily name them, in the, but they were 
definitely people that everybody's heard about. They have huge followings, they're super, super strong, but they get into these kind of patterns of wanting to always compete. And there's many reasons for that, but there's been some pretty catastrophic injuries that have happened because they continue to push and push and push and not like take the time off to have like a longer off season. And so those are, that's definitely, I would say the bigger mistake that the strongest people make is they always continue to push and push and push. And then pretty soon, like the strongest powerlifters in the world are some of the most beat up people that you've ever met. I mean, that if you, if, if there's, someone who's on the all-time world record lifts, they've definitely torn muscles at some point or another. They've have they've had disc issues. For them, it's not really anything. You know, it's just like, oh, I tore my biceps, so I have to deadlift with straps now for a little while until it heals. It's never like, oh, I'm I can't train anymore. It's like, okay, here's how I train around that. It's yeah, I just blew up my quad or something. So they're like, okay, I'll just do leg extensions for a while instead of squatting. It's a totally different mentality than uh, a beginner or intermediate or someone, certainly someone who doesn't train. Like I've had a lot of people uh, early on who have minimal training experience and like discomfort to them is like scary, not even injuries, but just like feeling sore. And they're like, I don't know if this is an injury or if it's just soreness. Um, and uh, it's totally different with the, the best of the best. So, and I, I think the biggest mistake they make is always pushing and not like, like, if, if they think they can do something in any training session, it's like really hard to hold them back from doing that. If they think they can add 10 pounds on their squat training that day, it's super hard to tell them no, or to just like, you know, cruise for a little while. So that that's definitely the thing that I think gets a lot of them is just the, the constant pushing and pushing of their limits that it ends up with a lot of setbacks and, you know, they recover from it. But for me, it's like looking at the, training year as a whole, I go, okay, if you get injured every, you know, four months or five months when training gets hard, you end up taking like a month off and then just blasting again. It's like, it's, it's the very yo-yo type of training that is just not productive long-term. So that's, those are kind of the two broad categories uh, of mistakes. I would say that the lifters make for the, for the beginner, when you, you talk about program hopping essentially, um, which, I'm familiar with as well. Cause I think, I think in general, just whether it's powerlifting or bodybuilding or just everyday people just getting into it, just trying to lose some weight. Mm-hmm. It's very common. I mean, I even did it in my early years, you know? Um, and I think that's a good perspective. It's like, it's excitement. But, um, at what point do you feel the, um, I guess like just kind of looking at it from the standpoint of like, it's not as productive because if everything's new, you never have enough time for the repeat about effect to kick in and for you to actually progress this thing, right? You can't repeat it and progress it and add a load to it, improve your skill behind it versus if their motivation is higher and they lift harder and their effort is greater because of that, like, do you ever find that you're like, okay, I'm going to accept some of this because you're excited and training harder. And then once it's time for me to be like, okay, we're not going to be able to ride that like Mm -hmm. newbie wave anymore. You shift it. Yeah. Oh, totally. And this is, this is probably a, a maturity level that I've reached in a, as a coach. So like I mentioned early on, like I, I would have a new lifter and they're like, Oh, I want to do West side this week, or I want to try a five, three, one, or these different programs that they've heard of. And the only time that when I first started out as a, as a coach, I was definitely a little bit more dictatorial. I was like, no, we're doing it this way. This is what we're doing. Like, I trust me, I've thought about this and I've, you know, really taken the time to like, 
study you as a person and try to come up with the best solution that I can. And you should do this. And if you don't do it, it's like, it's, it was like my way or the highway uh, to a certain degree, which can be productive sometimes, but a lot of times it isn't because you don't get the same buy-in from people. I think I really don't think you can underestimate having buy-in from your athletes. It's part of the reason why I like to get on camera every week and send them a video and talk to them about what's going on and, you know, go through their videos together uh, when possible. Um, So now as a coach, the only time that I really put my foot down is if I think the idea is like going to detract from your progress or if it's going to get you hurt. Like if, if you want to do something and you want to go up, say you've been squatting for two days a week your entire life. And all of a sudden you heard about your buddy who started squatting five days a week. And I'm like, dude, you should not do that. It will make ways of doing it. And, you know, I can be kind of sneaky sometimes as a coach. I'm like, okay, this day you're just going to do two sets and then you're going to do your regular program or something. Um, so I would say, yeah, there's, there's pros and cons to everything in, in writing programs and and coaching people. And sometimes it's, it's a, you know, anytime I write a program, it's, it's kind of like a, a a risk analysis that I am doing. I'm like, it is like, cause if you, if you do more as an athlete, like you will definitely make progress faster. No doubt about it. There's an upper limit to it, but there's absolutely no doubt about that. But uh, doing more more often also introduces a significant amount of risk. And is that risk profile something that I'm willing to accept as a coach? And are you willing to accept that as an athlete? Sometimes it's yes. And I've had athletes like the Chris Duffins and the Meets Appears and some of these really strong people that are like, yeah, like I will do anything. Like, I'll tell you what, like I work with a lot of athletes who say they'll do anything and they just want to do it. Like, I promise you, you do not want to do anything that it takes to to do this. Like, it's not like, that's not like a hardcore mindset that I have. And I'm just, I'm not like, you just don't get them. Like, you're not willing to quit your job and sleep as like your full-time job. Like with a lot of these strongest, the strongest people that I've worked with, like their full-time job is literally training. Like uh, it's, it's crazy. Like the times when Duffin's training was the hardest, like he was not working at Kabuki. Like he was not present in his office for months. He wasn't part of the business for a long time while he was training that hard. Cause you can't like the times where, where he's not training, he's recovering from training. And that's any person who's on the, the all time world record list is just literally willing to do anything to do that. Uh, including, major injury, uh, including sacrificing relationships in their life. A lot of things that people are not willing to do, which is I've seen both sides of it. I I don't, you know, someone wants to do it. I, it does not matter to me, but um, there's always like, so as a coach, like you have to do these kind of risk profiles because the risk profile that I, I, I would give to like one of these strongest of the strongest guys, I'm like, I, I understand that you understand like the things that we're doing and like how hard we're going to push. But I also, you know, have 50 year old women who just want to train hard and be strong. Like I'm not going to have them max out multiple times in a week and just be like, do you want this bad enough or not? Like, <laughs> it, it, like so it, you know, and that's, that's why I like coaching because it's not just like the same program that goes out and, you know, works for 50%. It doesn't work for 50%. Like I just see each person um, as an individual. And I think I honestly can barely remember your original question because I've just been rambling at this point, but I, I, I just don't think you can underestimate buy-in and, and, uh, and yeah, like I said, I, I can't remember your original yeah. question. I was thinking about all these other things. Well, it, it was weighing out um, 
the program hopping versus uh, yeah. versus that or, or not even program okay, hopping. Okay, so I, I kind of got to it. Yeah, hundred percent. And I and I agree. I think it's a really good look on it. And I think the to an extent, the more advanced you get, the the more you just need to stick to the script. But at the same time, the more advanced you get, the less likely you are to want to even veer off the script anyway. So it's kind of works yeah, itself out. Totally. Um, so that that makes a lot of sense. Now, the other thing you said as one of the problems with more advanced lifters, um, and I kind of want to spin this just so it's applicable to everybody, but yeah. like off season or time off. So even like my response to you uh, about like when my meet's going to be, it's kind of mm-hmm. like, well, this one sounds good. But if we do this one, that gives us more time. However, does that give me, is that too much time that we won't be able to do another one in the year? Cause I wanted to do yeah. like a prax one. So same questions. Like, I mean, obviously it's different for me than it would be, you know, Chris, when he was getting ready, cause he's lifting three times more weight than I am, but how much time between that? And then also if you can, like if somebody is testing their one rep max, let's say, or like expressing maximal strength versus mm-hmm. just practicing for it. How much time in between that? You know, I think there's an argument to be made that maybe gen pop people don't really need to test their one rep max. Like you're fine totally. with a three rep, yeah. but um, if that, but if they are, cause they just, there's some people who are just like, I don't want to compete, but I just want to know what my deadlift is mm-hmm. can be. Um, how much time do you actually think somebody should have between those maximal expressions or a meet? Yeah. And that, that's, that's a good question because it, it's, it's definitely one of those where it kind of like always de- is dependent on the person. Like, <clears throat> For you, like you've had a, a, a rich training history, you get it, you know how to lift, but you don't have like the practical experience of competing. And so it's like really valuable for you to compete more often because chances are like competition, that setting is just totally different than the gym. So it's a really good idea to, to do like three or four competitions per year. If, if you're somebody who is like one of the stronger people in the world, that's not really a good idea. But I would tell you right now, like a lot of the strongest people in the world are going to plan their competition schedules around their pharmacology cycles, you know, literally they're that that's when they're competing. So to, to it's, it's just a totally different ball game for like non-tested lifters and for like gen pop people, it's like, Hey, if if you are interested in, you know, seeing how much you can deadlift, let's just try it one day, you know, like if I'm coaching that person in person, I might stop them if they're, form is looking really ugly. Chances are the person is not going to execute perfect form when they're trying to lift their maximum weight the first time. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think that, uh, gen pop people, people interested in fitness, they definitely don't need to max out. I would say the counter argument to that is it's fun to max out. Yeah. You know, when, when I first started training, I was definitely more motivated to be a bodybuilder than I was a power lifter until I maxed out. And I was like, Oh man, that was that was really cool to deadlift that. That felt nice. I want to feel that more often. So I'm going to do it more often. Um, But I would say there's a certain level of unproductiveness that comes from maxing out really frequently because even though like maxing out is hard, it's cool. It's also not like that productive because you can't do that much of it. And there's a real recovery toll it takes. So like, unless somebody, it's very rare for me to actually have a lot of my lifters max out through the year. Uh, we'll do like hard doubles and triples. It's not that common for us to do like hard singles frequently, unless it's like, even in competition cycles, it's not that common to just max out with singles because you can, you're going to get just as strong with doubles and triples and you're probably going to get strong faster because it's a, there's more volume. It's a bigger stimulus than just singles are. 
Um, so I, I think um, for a lot of the, and I, you could definitely lump this in as a mistake everybody makes, and it's just maxing too frequently. Uh, and you, you know, one of the arguments that people make is they, they want to test if they've gotten stronger. And I totally understand that, but there's a lot of ways to tell if Cody's gotten stronger or if Brandon's gotten stronger. Uh, we can use velocity devices. We can look at your average loading over time. We can look at what weight you're lifting now versus previously and how hard it was. Uh, we can do just a subjective eye test, which is usually not super reliable. There are many ways to tell if somebody has progressed or not without maxing out. So I, I would say, I'm not a huge proponent of maxing out frequently for a lot of people. I understand that people, sometimes it's a psychology thing though. Like uh, people uh, want to just see if they've gotten weaker, which is a really bad idea um, because there's certain times of the year. Like if you're training for sets of fives and sixes and eights, like you're not going to be that, you know, crisp with your one rep max strength right now. Like you're going to be really conditioned to do fives and sixes and eights. Uh, but your one rep max strength might have gone down just a little bit. And I would tell you right now, it, powerlifters are very mentally fragile people when you talk about their strength is getting weaker. And the thing that I would preface any of it with is you haven't gotten weaker. You just uh, are not able to express your maximum strength right now. So, you know, uh, but yeah, I, I think maxing out too frequently is definitely non-productive, but it's also fun. So it goes back to like, is this going to improve mine? Like for some of my teenage lifters, it's like very hard to get them to not max out because they're like, oh, coach, I I was able to put three plates on the bar today and I did it. I was like, cool, let's please don't do that next week. Let's get back to what we were originally doing. Um, and yeah, and for some of the advanced lifters too, like it's, it's a real problem because uh, their max attempt is not like your or mine's max attempt. Like there's, uh, you know, there's there's real physiological tolls and recovery resources that it takes to squat 800 pounds versus 500 mm -hmm. regardless of 500 being your max 800 pounds being their max it takes them longer to recover from that 800 pound uh, attempt so yeah long story short I, I don't think it's a great idea to, to max out super frequently even as a power lifter i i think you can achieve the same very similar skill levels by doing hard doubles and triples uh, and things like that but um, maxing out is also fun, you yeah. know, so there's that side of it. And that's the thing you got to realize too, is there's, there's uh, you know, everybody competes in powerlifting literally just to max out. Yeah. Like that's, that's the whole sport. So I'm not going to be a stickler and say, Hey, don't do it. Cause that's, that's literally the only reason you train. No one trains to get stronger in their two rep max. No one says, Oh, my two rep max is 500. No, they say yeah. what their one rep max is because it's always heavier and heavier is cooler. And that's what people want to do. So yeah, I, there's many sides to it, I think. Yeah, no, I think that's well said. I think that uh, it's good for people to know that it's long-term probably more productive to not completely max out because you recover faster, which means you can get back at it again. And you're just like just below. So like that sub-maximal like load every week, week after week, developing yeah. the skill is probably super helpful. Uh, but like you said, there's something about maxing out and see what you're capable of that is just fun power lifter or not you know um yeah yeah it, it is and it you know it's funny uh, 
very quickly like i i was first my which it maybe is ethically wrong but prior to marrying my wife she was one of my clients my athletes that i trained she was really freaking strong and when i could see it she had traps when she never even trained to to have traps uh, and so when 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 i was working with her like i was like maybe you should just max out sometimes and that was the thing that started motivating her more to train so i think there's you know for there's definitely something to be said for like you know, being more motivated to train harder. And for some people, it's just putting something on the bar that they just didn't realize they could lift. Like a 200 pound squat for a female is like not that hard to do. It's it's hard if you've never done it, but it's not that hard to train to do that. And then when you go, wow, that was 200 pounds. That's really cool. Like that's 200 pounds. I never thought I could lift a hundred pounds. So I think that's, it's important for a lot of people to kind of realize that they are stronger than they think they are. So that's, that's my one counter argument to like the gen pop crowd, uh, um, you know, having a little fun with the weight sometimes yeah. maxing out or not. Yeah. Um, slight shift, but st- same kind of idea and topic is just the idea of like, so there's a lot of people we work with, uh, we will use more of like a po- uh, power building kind of method, let's say, because most gen pop people want to look better, but they wouldn't mind being stronger totally. too, you know, so it works out well. Um, now there's this one argument that it's not specific enough, obviously, but these people don't have as specific of a goal. So it's probably fine. Exactly. But going back, there used to be this old saying that would be like uh, a bigger muscle is a stronger muscle, you know, and then that kind of got squashed because people would see bodybuilders who just weren't that strong. And we go, okay, well, strength can be a lot more neurological than we realize, you know, and then uh, I heard something, I believe it was after a study came out on something, but, um, somebody uh kind of used the term uh, a bigger muscle has the potential to be a stronger muscle um and i don't know if it was greg no i, th- I want to say it was one of the mass research review guys that was kind of diving into this but i'm not familiar with that research but i'm just curious of like in your experience and in, in reading research or anything like that do you think there's merit to like a bigger muscle like do you notice your guys that have more muscle are probably going to be stronger or do you see um that it really doesn't play as big of a role as we would think totally I'm in the camp that a bigger muscle, like that person will be stronger at some point if they train for strength, like your pro bodybuilders out there, if they switched into powerlifting, like they would be the strongest powerlifters of all time. Now they prop, they have, it's tricky because I guarantee you they would instantly get injured. And that would, that would be the thing that mm-hmm. takes those guys out for sure. Cause they're, they are so much stronger than like their, their tendons and ligaments are like, those are the things uh-huh. that get stronger over time are your connective tissues, not just muscle. And you, you cannot get the, the same type of strength in, in your knee tendons and things without squatting heavy. Uh, you can't do it with sets of 10 uh, compared to sets of fives and fours. So the, that's a big separator between like the, the, the bigger muscle kind of debate. But I, I definitely think that uh, a bigger muscle definitely has a potential to be stronger. It will be stronger uh, versus someone who doesn't have muscle. The, the thing that moves your joints back and forth is muscle. The thing that closes joints and opens joints is muscle. Now, how hard that muscle contracts is totally dependent on how neural efficient you are. And that's, you know, it, it, that, that said, I think it's a really bad idea to spend like years trying to be a bodybuilder to be a better power. Mm. Like, it's a really bad idea. Um, you just are not like 
people have a shelf life of training. So in, in the test tube type person also doesn't exist, right? The, it, there's no perfect avatar for the person who's going to be the perfect athlete. They're, they exist somewhere, but they're not probably doing what we're doing. Um, so yeah, I think it's a really bad idea to do. I've met a lot of like people who have a lot of potential as powerlifters, but they refuse to compete in powerlifting until they get to a certain strength level. And then they want to just go and do it. And that just, it does not work. It doesn't work for a lot of reasons. Um, it doesn't work because they, they usually don't stick with it uh, for, for long enough. Like the thing that like, once you get into your second and third competition, like that, training is going to be much harder than your off season would be, but you would never have trained that hard if you didn't have a competition coming up that and people don't really want to believe that, but there's another level of like, I really want to get stronger for this competition. So I'm going to train harder and, and do better in these next eight weeks. than I did in the prior eight weeks, like it, it's just going to happen when you're in your competition training phase. Like it's a totally different mentality that you take to training, regardless of how consistent you are as a person or how mentally focused you are as a person, like training for competitions is just different because you actually have to prove it now. Like you have to go, okay, I'm going to get up there and I'm going to put myself against someone else. And we're going to see who's stronger between the two of us. And it's, you know, it's, it's fun. It's not like a, it, it's not a, it should not be an intimidating thing for anybody. Uh, and it, people kind of just work it up in their head to be, you know, more of an intimidating place than it is, but you know, so the, my counter argument to like the, you know, just focus on bodybuilding for a while and then do powerlifting. It's like, there's, there's many things that you will like your limitation is not definitely not going to be uh, how strong you are. It's like how good you are at the movements, like the, the, the strength profile of a, of a squat, like the impulse profile of a squat is your ability uh, to generate force over a longer period of time, not just generate like single peak force. Like if you were to measure peak force between a, uh, like a defensive back in the NFL versus the strongest person who's ever existed, the defensive back produces 10 times more peak force than Chris Duffin does. He can jump. That's what peak force is. Right. But uh, so for the bodybuilder, like the, the style of training that has happened, like you're not generating force the same, your body is not learning how to generate force the same because it, it's totally different. Regardless of like a squat is a squat, it, it's, it's not like the way you generate force with a one rep max squat is not even close to the same as you would generate with a 10 rep max. And you just can't toss that person into the one rep max, like a uh, training category, because they're going to get injured because their, their potential for strength is way higher than their body is really capable of expressing right now. And that's when injuries happen. Injuries occur when too much force has been, uh, has gone through a muscle that can't tolerate that amount of force over time. And that's, 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 that's completely how muscle tears happen. And so the hardest thing that I, cause I've, I've worked with a handful of pro bodybuilders that want to become powerlifters. The hardest thing is to slow them down. Like we got to yeah. take our time. I need you to do things slower. Um, but yeah, uh, to answer your question, bigger person is, is always going to be stronger given the same training circumstances. Like if, if you and I started out day one, uh, but I started out with 50 more pounds of muscle, you will not ever be able to compete with me after the first six months. Like that person will definitely be stronger. So I think there's definitely something to be said for getting bigger muscles, you know, really prioritizing some of that in your off season, but 
it's a very slippery slope to like removing yourself too far from powerlifting because there's still things that you need to be good at as a power, as a powerlifter that aren't just driven by muscle size. So yeah, both sides of the argument definitely have some merit, but uh, the guys and gals that want to just get bigger for three years, they just never compete. They, 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 they're, they're never going to get to a point where they're actually going to do it. Um, so it's, it, as much as it might seem like, delayed gratification to train as a bodybuilder for five years and then go compete as a powerlifter because you'll just be on a whole new level. It just is not going to work that way. It's still going to take you another five years to be a really great powerlifter once you've stopped, you know, bodybuilding. And it, it, it's, it, that is about how long it takes um, in my experience anyway, three, maybe four years. So the last thing I had on the list to talk to you about is perfectly connects with this because just because it's you mentioned probably what the big injury that they would run into would be. And that's just mobility and flexibility, right? They're, you know, not, I don't have any issue with FRC, but for example, when FRC came and seen um, for trainers and everything, I think there was just like this big hype yeah. around like just being Gumby, you know? And then there's been a mm-hmm. lot of talk too, where it's like, well, you know, if you can bend over and touch your toes with a bunch of flexibility, but you can't pull a heavy barbell off the floor, like, are you really that mobile? Cause like, yeah. you know, there's differences here. Um, and in my experience, when we're talking about body composition for somebody who's not competing in a lifting sport, I don't even need them to do a barbell squat or a deadlift really mm-hmm. like at all. And I can yeah. use single leg stuff. I can manipulate, I can use the Hatfield squat. I can do things mm-hmm. that actually require less mobility. So I've found that we don't need to worry about it nearly as much unless somebody has an injury or they're recovering from an injury. And then obviously it's like, okay, well there's, there's an imbalance or something we got to kind of work on. Um, but I'm just curious on your, uh, just your overall thoughts. I think there's, there's so many different opinions. Some people are like super into stretching. Some people are super about mobility. Some people say, you know, training with a full range of motion is mobility. So don't worry about it. Like, where do you think is like the, I feel like you're a really kind of like middle ground balance, like just what actually makes sense kind of guy. So I'm just curious of what your take is on it. Mobility is definitely a trap. You know, people, tend to think it's more important than it really is. And hey, this comes from me. Like I, I really mobility is you shouldn't try to just be the most mobile person in the world and think that you're going to be better as a, a strength athlete or a bodybuilder or anything. Mobility is so context specific. Like if you look at any powerlifter who's done it for a while, they, none of them can put their hand over their head because they don't need to, you know, they, they press this way. They don't press this way. They're not like their hand over their head looks like they're like sheepishly, like asking a question in class, but they're not really sure about it. It's like this weird, you know, uh, uh, but they don't need it. And so it's a total waste of time for you to assess somebody and say, your overhead mobility is lacking. So we're going to spend all of our time improving that until you can do it. Well, they don't need to do it. And the same thing with touching your toes. How often do you touch your toes? I don't. I, I uh, barbell 16 inches off the ground. Let me get down to that spot. And then I want to be good at doing that any further than I'm going to destroy my lower back. Uh, and as, look at an offensive lineman. Like it, it's so funny to me anytime like LeBron James or any superstar athlete post a squat video online. Cause it's terrible. Yeah. It looks like a, they look like a baby gazelle. They, they don't look like professional athletes when they do it. But what people don't realize is they don't do the same thing that you do. Like if you look at LeBron James, an offensive tackle, those people never squat below parallel in yeah. their sport. LeBron James does not squat to parallel and then spring out of that to jump. So you don't need to do it. And so I, my big problem with like these different schools of mobility is they assess everything and they try to fix everything. If we go, well, my, 
my end range knee flexion is limited. So we're just not going to train you super hard because you might get injured because you can't do that. Oh, I go, Hey dummy, I don't need to do that. I just want to squat heavy. Like, and so I don't need full, whatever my knee flexion capabilities are. I just don't need it. And so it's a total waste of time to work on it. You, you should be, unless you're just like a fitness person, fitness people, like fitness is everything like to, to be physically fit is, you know, fitness is its own totally separate category, uh, devolved of sport. Like there's no sport in fitness. It's totally different. So when we look at sport, we have to look at the demands of the sport, be good at those things. Don't be good at everything else. Just be good at those things and you will do better at your sport. So for our strength athletes, like that's why I don't have a standardized assessment. Like I know the things that I'm looking for. I, I have like my priorities that I want to hit, but, um, I don't need you to put your hand over your head or to be able to, you know, scratch the middle of your back. Like I don't need you to be able to do that, to be a good powerlifter. So we're not going to spend our time doing it because that's what I kind of mentioned as mobility is a trap is people, you know, really like to find like the perfect 30 minute routine prior to training and their warm up is like going to really prepare them for training. But the other thing that prepares you for training is just squatting. Like, let's just put a bar on your back and squat. I've done hundreds. In fact, I did, I've done thousands of hours of in-person seminars over the past 10 years. Uh, and we don't have a standard assessment that we take people through. I go, okay, the SWAT session is now put a bar on your back and that's where we start. And I, we can fix a lot of things right there without having to take you over to the wrestling mats and do, you know, your activation drills and your mobilization drills. And because a lot of people also don't really realize what they're working on. Like you are never going to turn a muscle on or off unless you have serious nerve damage. Like you can't turn muscles on or off. So you have to look at muscles as how are they receiving load? Muscles can hold a joint in a certain position. They can uh, prevent a joint from going further than it's able, and it, it can shorten joint positions. That's load always. Muscles are always under load. So when people think that they're uh, lengthening a muscle, what does that really mean? You know, or uh, if they're activating a muscle, what does that really mean? It's it, they're not doing it, what they really think they're doing either with these mobility type routines. Um, so I think people just, it really got too far on like the supple leopard kick, like Kelly Strat's awesome. But you know, you, if, if you look for problems, you'll find problems. Yeah. Like if, if you look for problems with your mobility, you'll find problems, but chances are you're not even working on the right thing. Like if you have, uh, and this is also why I, I assess movements and not muscles. If, if you go, man, my chest is really tight. So I have tight pecs. Well, you might, have tight pecs, but you don't have tight pecs just because your pecs are tight. You have tight pecs because your scapulas maybe aren't doing their job, right? You have very poor scapulohumeral rhythm. So your pecs shorten and they keep the joint in the position that it can work in. And if you just stretch your pecs, you did nothing to affect scapular mechanics. So you're always going to have tight pecs. Like in the easiest test for this is if you feel like you have to do the same routine every day to be able to train, like you're definitely doing the wrong things. If you feel like you have to foam roll your IT bands every session, uh, you have not an IT band problem. You have a different problem that we need to figure out. Um, if you feel like your pecs are always tight, and they, they might be, like if I stretch my pec enough, even if it's super mobile, I can, I'm going to feel some tightness at yeah. some point. So tightness is not the enemy. And feeling those sensations of tightness are not the enemy. They, you know, and, and pain either, like pain, 
Uh, one of my favorite quotes about pain, and I'll see if I can do it without looking at my PowerPoint slides, but it's, it's pain is something the effect of pain is rarely the problem. Pain is like kind of, it, it's more of a, um, as I say that, I'm, I obviously I can't remember the, the quote <laughs> I say that's my favorite, but pain is more of a messenger than it is the problem. Like if you have a uh, pec pain, that pain doesn't tell you that that thing needs to, you know, it doesn't tell you that that pec needs to change. It, it's more of a communications messenger. Now, if you have a, you know, a real like muscle tear or something that's totally different, but pain is, it's, it's just telling you that something needs to be changed. It doesn't tell you what needs to be changed. And I think that's something that people, it, it's along the same lines of like mobility and stuff, because people, you know, try to assess pain at the point and fix that thing. And rarely uh, is that the problem. Pain is, is, is like the output of the problem, not rarely the problem itself um, for, for the majority of things. Um, when it comes to training, obviously there's, you know, not talking uh, any other populations, but yeah. So in terms of mobility, I, I think it's a real trap that people fall into. And uh, people, if, if you take 20 minutes to warm up, it's like you should spend 10 of those minutes actually training you know, you, you should be able to get your warm up done in 10, 15 minutes tops. 15 minutes would be taking your time, I, I would say. Um, so, yeah, and mobility is just like one of the other quotes that I probably not going to remember, but it's it's from the, the former uh, Cleveland Browns offensive line coach who's just a monster of a guy. He's a huge guy. He's not a ton of muscle, you know, just a very large human. And one of his quotes was, uh, which I obviously I think it's just funny, but he he, he said, you know, prior to storming the beaches of Normandy, did they have to do like their 10 minute mobility routine? Like, no, those guys were just ready to go do their job that they had to do. Like, yeah. so obviously like not, uh, I don't think that's a really good idea for people to just not do it. But, uh, I do think that people get stuck, um, within their mobility routines and feeling like they have to do it to feel good. Yeah. I've, I've heard something similar with like a cheetah, like there's a cheetah warm up before it sprints. And it's like, no, yeah, exactly. Take it with a grain of salt. But it's like a good valid yeah. point to it, you know. You, you understand where it's coming from. Yeah. Like, there's no reason that you shouldn't be able to go in the gym if it's squat day and just put a bar on your back and do a few reps. Like, you might have to do some additional work outside of that, and you might do a few reps and go, "Oh man, hips feeling a little wonky today." So I'm going to go and do some hip mobilization drills, and then I'm going to come back to squat and maybe I squat 95 pounds down. Like, okay, hip feels a little better, um, but I'm not really hitting my position well, so I'm going to go back and do a little bit of work, and it's like this. Your, your warm-up should almost be like a test and retest type uh, uh, of a routine, not just like a routine for the sake of having a right. warm-up routine. You know, it should always be a, a test and retest. Um, yeah. I love it. Yeah, no, I think that's – I'm glad you went that route because that's very similar to what I typically say and feel. Um I also just get bored to death doing long mobility drills. Yeah. So I'm like, let's just get the job done and go. Um, but powerlifting is a different, different beast to me. So I'm glad that, that it's still very applicable. And, and, uh, and yeah, I agree, man. This has been really cool. Uh, I'm going to let you go now. We're at an hour. It's, uh, this has been super, super fun for me to just kind of pick your brain and bring you on the podcast, especially as you're going to you know dive in this journey with me. We're about to get ready to sign up for the meet and kind of like yep. make it official and that's when it's going to get real. So I'm excited, but, um, I know you said you don't do a lot of social media, but anywhere that you want people to go to check out your content or what you guys do, um, just drop it here right now. And then I can put it in the description of the show. 
Yeah, I, I respond on social media, but I usually don't post a ton, but my social handles is Brandon underscore Sen, S-E-N-N. Um, if anyone wants to work with me, they can go sign up over at the Juggernaut website or send me a, uh, a, an email at Brandon at gtsstrength.com. Brandon underscore Sen at gtsstrength.com. I don't even know. Uh, DM him. <laughs> yeah, send me, tell, tell Cody and Cody will message me maybe. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think social is probably the easiest way to, to get a hold of me because um, I do respond to DMs and stuff, and that's just Brandon underscore Sen. Yep, and then obviously, uh, is it jtsstrength.com or juggernaut? We'll link you. in the description, guys, so all this will be there because we'll have time to look at it before, after the podcast, but tons yeah. of content there as well. Um, that's where I originally found Brandon. So, uh, man, thank you for coming on and spending time with us. This has been a blast. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Cody. It's always it's it's fun to chat with uh, someone who's like-minded. So thanks for having me.